we go. Ah, hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode 309, I'm very lucky, privileged to have Tevin uh, Kito on the podcast today. <laughs> this lad here, he is an account manager for a Bloomberg but he is a podcaster in arms. Ah, his podcast, who he's a founder of, is 1000 Voices. What is your podcast about, sir? Yeah, and first of all, before we kick things off, I appreciate the invite. You've got 300, what, 309 episodes, you say? My veteran podcaster. I've got a long way to go. <laughs> hey, look, look, this is the thing. Look, you've... A long way to go. One podcast episode at a time, my friend. One podcast episode at a time. Yeah, yeah. We're working. We're working, man. So, um, yeah, appreciate the invite once again. Um, mm-hmm. So, my podcast, 1000 Voices, um, started it February last year. And the idea is to interview 1000 Black British changemakers. That's it. In a nutshell, there's a lot of stories and experiences, which I'm sure we're going to delve into that inspired me to start this project. But essentially, in short, uh, it's about putting out positive stories. I feel like... There's way too much nonsense out there, and I thought, you know, we've got to do something to challenge that and put out more positive stories. So that's what we're doing, you know, speaking to good, inspirational people doing good work and amplifying their voices. Okay. Now, talking of positive stories, where does your positive story start? Ooh, so I'm East London born and bred. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, you know, look, this is the thing. Look, I'm, from, I'm from North London. And, like, I'm a Liverpool fan, too. Like, East London. You know what? I'm not here to give you chip, but, like, yeah. (laughs) I'm an East London boy. Yeah. I get it all the time. People are like, you're from London. How the hell do you support Liverpool? And I'm like, you know what? I grew up in a Liverpool household. My dad supports Liverpool. So that's all I ever saw on TV was Liverpool, Liverpool, Liverpool. And I just grew up supporting them. (laughs) Just by default. That's it. That's good parenting right there. Good parenting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's done a good job there for sure. So, yeah, yeah from East London, I grew up in Leytonstone. Um, I was there, yeah, up until more recently. I moved out two and a half years ago into Essex oh, now. Yeah. Got married and moved out of the ends, basically. So I <laughs> moved to the sticks into Essex. Um, but, yeah, my story starts in Leytonstone. All right. Like Leytonstone, born and bred. Like, yeah. So... Growing up in the, how can I say, <laughs> the exciting streets of Leytonstone, like, yeah, what, like, getting married and moving out of there, like, like what, didn't, wasn't going to be Leytonstone until you die? Nah, nah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, you always, you got a heart for home, you know, you grew up there, it's your community, your people, your friends Ooh. all from there and that kind of thing, but, but I don't think I've ever seen myself living there forever especially as i started to get a bit older and you mean you see it the way it is and you experience a lot of crazy shit <laughs> growing up in them areas man and um i'm, I'm just uh, you know I've, I've luckily i've been able to cut through and i haven't necessarily had any mad things happen to myself in that sort of sense but you know i've always felt to myself i've, I've always wanted to at some stage move out into another karma area uh, <laughs> which I've like, managed to do now. Area. Yeah, you know what? Like, yeah, when you say you're East London, it's like you're deep, you're, you're deep there. Now, so, growing up in Leytonstone, what would you say were some of, like, what would, like, because this is the thing, you are a person where I've 
did my little bit of research, who has a tremendous amount of grit, determination, a can-do attitude. And like this is the thing, when people talk about sort of Leighton Stone, like Tottenham North London and stuff like this, it's not, that is not what I would say is the normal running theme, what comes out of those areas. What, what is giving you this grit? What is giving you this determination uh, to move forward? That's a good question. It's something I've reflected on myself uh, mm. because I have heard that before from people and I do feel that to a certain degree i feel like i'm a kind of person i can be one track minded to a degree when i put my mind on something that's it mm-hmm. like i feel like that's it i'm just gonna put all into it every bloody ounce of my being into that thing um and where that's come from it's um, i think it's a combination of a few things i don't think it's like a one thing i think where i grew up my parents i feel like instilled that into me they mm-hmm. always made me feel that you can be what you want to be i always grew up feeling like i'm going to be successful in some kind of craft i wasn't always sure what that was going to be but i never ever felt that i was ever not going to be successful i never you know i've never really had that kind of thought before so like my parents have always instilled in me that um this sense of self-belief because they believe in me uh, mm-hmm. they believe in me a lot and i think just through them believing in me i've grown up believing in myself not even in an arrogant way but i've just always believed in myself and i think it started there uh, with my parenting, um, well, with my parents. And then I think just other than that, I think it's things I've been exposed to. So um, when I got maybe into my teenage years, especially when I hit college age, about yeah. 16, 17, and I started uh, attending more of these business seminars and mixing with different groups of people when you're really hearing like how people have been able to be successful when the steps they're making and everything. And when you know that, that saying, like, you can't see it, you can't believe it. If you don't see it, you're not going to be able to believe it. And when I'm seeing it, I'm seeing people who have done a lot of very, very good things. And it becomes so much more tangible now because my parents believe in me as one side of it. But obviously, I don't don't necessarily know the path. I don't know how, but but I believe I don't know how. And then you're seeing it now and it's like, okay, cool. All right. It it literally can't be done. This is how they've done it. And this is how I believe I might be able to do it. So I think it's a mixture of a few things, mixture of different people and reading certain books and that as well. Um, one book that made a massive impact in my life was Richard Branson's autobiography. I've probably got it on my bookshelf. I've got it on my bookshelf. Behind you have it on your bookshelf after the research I've done. I, I would have to come over to Essex and like, <laughs> what? Like, like... I've got it on my bookshelf. I've got a very tattered like version of it, yeah? Because I've read that book like four or five times. I got that when I was 17 years old, I think. And I've got a tattered version. Now to get it again on my Kindle, because the one I've got is just broken bit <laughs> broken to bits um, but uh, that book definitely made a very profound impact on me because at that time I always I went through a stage where I thought I was going to be a doctor and it was it stemmed back to me believing I felt you know I wanted to do something that would leave a positive imp- impact on people help in some way and that was the kind of a career I was looking for I didn't know exactly what it was and I thought okay be a doctor it just seems like the most you know, straightforward path to do that it's the Ghanaian and Nigerian way. Yeah, maybe it was my parents. Yeah. <laughs> but, Doctor, architect, lawyer, engineer. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You don't hear anything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I thought I was going to be a doctor anyway. Then I'd done an internship. My auntie's a GP. And I interned at, for two weeks at the GP she works at. Mm. And then after that, I thought, yeah, okay, this ain't for me. Like, it's cool, but it's, it's really not for me. It's very much... 
you know, one person here, one person there, and it ain't necessarily like the wide sweeping societal uh. impact I wanted to make. So I was back to the drawing board. And at that point in time, I'm like, six, I'm 16, 17, college. I'd done basically all science A-levels. I didn't know what I was going to do at that point. I can't change my A-levels then, so I'm just feeling a bit lost. Uh, and I, But I always, I like to read a lot. Mm. And I read uh, Richard, and I've read loads of books in it, but I read Richard Banson's autobiography, and that one was like, wow, okay, this is this is real. This is really cool. He's an entrepreneur. He's making the kind of wide sweeping societal impact I want to make. I think this is how I'm going to do it. And yeah, from then, I, I, um, I think, yeah, to go back to the original question of where did that kind of grit and determination come from? It's a mixture of things. Reading that book for sure, mixing different groups of people and parents, I think it's all those things. Mm. Yeah, because uh, this is the thing. Some interesting you picked that book with Richard Branson and like sort of like this. Like, and when you bring up the point where you go, yeah, you've got to be able to see it to be, then be able to do it. It's one of those things where it's very hard in life to be that pathfinder, uh, to sort of lead the way. And it's so, like when you try to be, if you're trying to be a pathfinder in something new, especially in this day and age, it is very tricky. And like with someone like Richard Branson, who, what, like, he is the very sort of definition when you talk about a business sense, a, a pathfinder in many different sectors from like the music industry, travel, like soft drinks even to like, you know what I mean? Uh, what is like trains at one point? Like, I think that's, I'm not too sure. Did that, the book connect with you because even though you didn't meet him or have a conversation with him at the time, he was a bit of a mentor to you? Yeah, yeah. I think the book connected with me in a sense because um, it was the personality aspect of it because he brings a lot of himself and his personality to his business. He's the kind of person, mm. obviously, he's very he's very successful in what he does, but he doesn't take himself super seriously when he moves in certain yeah. circles as well. And I felt like I could see some of myself um, in that, especially when I'm reading about him and his younger self. And I'm 17 at the time and... Um, seeing a lot of my own personality in the younger version of him, and I think that's why it connected to me. Because I've read loads, I mean, I've read a few different autobiographies, but I don't think none of them really connected with me on the level that that one did with me on a personal level. Yeah. How old are you now? Uh, 30 now. 30? Uh, you know what I mean? That's a good, healthy chunk of time. Because, <laughs> like, just look, come on now. There was a many a 17-year-old back then would have been like, yeah, <laughs> it's all about the PlayStation. It's all about, like, just go, like, going out, hanging with my friends, and, like, yeah. Like, how can I say it? Doing a little bit of stupidness left, right, and centre. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I say this because I, I talk from experience. <laughs> but with this, and like, yes, looking at yourself at 17, going forward, going to all of these different things. Like, so where did the sort of jump into going into youth work come into play? Because that is a very sort of different mindset to what that, like, Basically, taking care of the next generation. Yeah, yeah. Basically, jumping from being a doctor. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I've had like a bit of a mad career so far. Like all sorts of okay. different industries. And people ask me like, 
I was doing fashion, I've done the youth work, I'm working in finance now. It's, it's all sorts of very different career paths and people are like, how does that make sense? What's the thread? Mm. And the thread with me is always, is always been um, finding ways, just helping people. It's always been about impact and that's it. So um, on the fashion, those impacts out of it. With the youth work, it was about that as well. It was very tangible because we're working very directly with people. So that, I was doing that for six years, between 2011 and 2017. Um, yeah. It was a youth group attached to a church and then just all sorts of stuff. It was cool, man. Like we used to, we, um, I became a youth leader, um, 2011. I became, I don't know what exact year, but just, I don't know, maybe two, three years into it, I sort of became the sole youth leader. So mm -hmm. the guy that headed up the entire thing. Uh, yeah, we implemented all sorts of stuff. Like we just implemented these Friday meetups, um, we started doing these, getting food in, getting games in, encouraging some of the guys in the area to come in and that. Um, I think maybe because I was young, I was more easily able to connect with people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was good. You know, you meet a lot of good people. And I think um, a lot of people haven't necessarily experienced, because some people live mad lives. And I think it's difficult for someone that lives, that's lived the life on the straight and narrow, um, it's quite difficult to fathom how mad of a life some people live. Um, some people live like 24 seven on edge of, on scared of some kind of a reprisal or on the run or whatever. Some people live crazy lives and for them to even get two, three, four hours a week where you can chill, relax, let your hair down, play table tennis and eat hot food or whatever, uh, is, um, I think it's, you know, something a lot of people haven't experienced. I think it was, um. It was a good experience, you know, it was good while it lasted when I was doing that. Mm. No, like, I agree. There are like, people which don't actually understand the sort of constant mental tacking. Uh, like, when you're, like, when you're in survival mode compared to, like, thrive mode, survival mode, you're not actually thinking about, okay, yeah, you know what, in five years' time, I want to have X, Y, and Z living, like, having a big house, living here, there, like raising some kids. It's all about, I need the here and now, this yeah. moment in time. And so like, and basically it's one of those things. If you've got someone who's been living that life for such a long time, it's, it's nigh on impossible or to turn that off or they have to have such like years upon years of just chill to like basically get over that, you know? Yeah, 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 definitely. The amount of people I've spoken to who I'll chat to them and be like, why don't you do this or why don't you do that or think about this in the future? And they're like, it's just like, how? Like, literally, how? I, I can't see that far in the future. They're, they're, it's not about planning for two, three, five years down the line. It's about today. I've got to get through today and then that's all they're worried about. Um, and I've had that conversation so many times. I think it's like it's a mental thing. It's um, to some degree, it's mental because, again, I think people, if you haven't been in that, if, if you haven't lived that kind of life, you, I don't think there's any way you can really, really relate. You can empathize from an outside in, but mm. if you haven't lived a life like that, you can't empathize. I mean, you can't, you know, can't really relate. I think, and it's like, that's just like that example with people like that. There's, I, I always say pain is relative. So it's a slight segue, but then I'll bring it back. So I say pain is relative. So let's say, for example, you got uh, two guys. One guy drops, he's, he's bought a McDonald's burger, he drops on the floor, cool, whatever. 
whatever, it might be a whatever to him. Another man dropped that burger, he could cry and bawl his eyes out. The pain's relative because that can mean so much more to one person. That person that it meant so much more to could be living a whatever type of life, yeah? And because of that, it, it means that much more to another person's living a different type of life. If you flip it back to these kind of people, it's like they're living a very, very, very different life over 10, 15, 20 years. And there's, um, I think with certain people, I think, you know, with the school system and that kind of thing, and then um, people get kicked out, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And they, they, they're not necessarily a part of mainstream society. Mm-hmm. And then you talk to certain people and in a way it's like they haven't, not even like a, in a rude way, but it's like they haven't necessarily even developed some of the, the basic social skills that maybe me and you or other people have lived in mainstream society have. They can't interact with normal people. They can't, you know, simple things because they haven't lived like a normal person. They're so far different. Their mindset is so far different. Their mannerisms, everything is so, so, so different. And without being like that, it's so, so difficult to really relate. So what you can do is just, I guess, is just empathize and try to understand seek to understand, empathize and offer, I guess, whatever kind of support you can offer. Yeah, like this is the thing, like I agree, like with regards to the mental side of things. And it's not like there is times where it's like, oh yeah, people go pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If it was that simple, it would be that simple. But it's not. It's when it comes to the sort of mental side of things, it's like, okay, if you take your younger self when you first got the concept of money, like a pound was like a small fortune to you. Mm. Move on a few years, a pound is no longer a fortune to you. It's just like, yeah, move on a few more years, 10 pounds, yeah, 30, 40, 100 pounds. And breaking that sort, like getting to that sort of new mental level, it's like, yeah, when you, like, if you get a job which gives you an extra 10 grand, you mentally adjust to that very quickly but before then you don't know how you're going to get there necessarily you haven't you don't have the mental knowledge it's the case of when you look at many people go you could be a millionaire like they say the first million is the hardest because you have no idea of the mental journey or like you need to put into place like with you wearing a football top right liverpool right yeah like Having a team, you can have the best team in the world or the best team in the moment. If you don't have enough people who've gone through the whole journey of winning the league, they will fall short when just at the final moment. Sorry, Arsenal fans, if this is triggering. Uh, uh, you, you get what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, million percent, million percent, and I agree. And when you talk about, like, for example, not going through that journey and use that money example, that's why so many people, you get people who are millionaires or whatnot, and then their children inherit and don't go on to build upon that. In fact, a lot of them will squander the money because they haven't gone through that journey. Or people that win the lottery, they'll go win the lottery and splash it on nonsense, really, and then they're they're back broke. Again, it's because they haven't gone through, they haven't gone through that journey, they haven't built upon that. They've just been hand-designed on a plate. Mm. Uh, and the, the journey is just as important as the goal anyways the journey like <laughs> don't forget the journey you learn a lot through the journey man no like this is the thing i think too many times people put their emphasis on the actual destination like because okay for example what is like the definition of a modern day success 
Like, yeah, the, the iconic example, if you look on the line, the Lamborghini. And, like, you know what I mean? Riches, blah, 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 blah. But success is very much tailor-made to each one individually. Because if you really, like, figured out who you are, you'll understand what success means to you. Yeah, yeah. I think with that goal aspect as well, the people being... Um fixated on the goal and not the journey because the journey isn't sexy the journey ain't cool but seeing the the cars and the house and the holidays now that's the nice that's the goal isn't it and that's yeah. what we see that's what you're bombarded with in yeah. the media in socials or whatever you just see that and you're like cool that's what i want i'm gonna work that all you're doing is fixated on a the goal there was someone I had a conversation with and he gave me some advice he asked me um where do I want to be in three years or something like that? So I was like, yeah, in three years, I want to be here. But it was more like a goal kind of mindset. I can't remember exactly what I said. It was some time mm-hmm. I was like, three years, I want to be here. And he was like, nah, nah, nah. Like, don't worry too much about what job you want, or what position you want to be. Think about the kind of man you want to become. So in three years, what kind of a man do you want to become? I'm like, oh, okay. But I've never been asked it like that before. Mm-hmm. And then I'm I'm thinking about it on the spot. We haven't discussed I'm, you know, detailing it out and breaking it down. It's like, okay, cool. This is the kind of man you want to become then this is the steps we can put in place to make sure that, you know, you're working towards that. But it's a journey, he was saying. Like, and then when you get there, you know, you're always building because technically speaking, you can never say, I don't know, I want to become, let's say, the wisest man or whatever. Cool. That's the kind of man I want to become. I want to be seen as a wise man in this particular field. I could work towards, I could work towards it three years time, but it's a journey. It's not a destination. It's not a goal. It's something you just, you work and you're becoming all the time. You're becoming that and working towards it. No, because like when you say the wisest man, that is an infinite mindset game, right there. Like because like there, like Simon Sinek puts it like there is the finite game and the infinite game, and like go, I want to become the wisest man. It's like okay, there is no sort of real indication. There is no sort of like this is the final marker. Ah, you have become the wisest man because it just yeah. Are you the wisest man? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I've, I've still got a lot to learn. No, that, like, yeah. So your mindset's not on that sort of like finite game, which is, you know what I mean? Like, ama- like, which is amazing to have. And it's a very rare thing to have amongst, well, many a person in this world. But yeah, but let me just sort of bring this back around to when you were a youth worker, right? Mm. Like, you were much younger then. So, and being looked at as a leader, I don't know if it was the first time you were being looked at as a leader and everything like this. Like, did you have much more of a goal-oriented mindset or did you have this infinite, like, infinite game mindset, would you say, at the time? Uh, I didn't necessarily have a goal-oriented mindset. To be honest, I don't really have any goals like that when I was doing it. It was more so, I didn't say by this dates, I want to have this many people coming in, blah, blah, blah. Never, ever had even had that conversation with anybody. Yeah. It was more so just about uh, just creating the biggest impact as possible. And that yeah. was it. Like, it was literally just down to that. So what can we do? All right, let's work with these. Let's have open days, let's put on conferences. Let's um, start this Friday, meet something. Let's leaflet and go in the state and talk to people in the street. Let's tell them about this. Like, it was just always about looking forward like what could we do to increase our impact to let people know we're here um it was always that um there's been like 
Um, a few people that were coming, I mean, I still see some of them have moved out of the area now. Um, I'm not necessarily in contact with anybody like that, but, you know, I've got some of them on socials. I might bump into some people when I do go into, um, back into London and that. And some of them, like, they're, they're doing like, really good for themselves. I, I remember I bumped into one guy I hadn't seen him for years. Like, mm-hmm. when he used to come to the youth club, he was like, on, on, on all sorts of stuff. And then I'd have bumped into him for years. And then, random, I'm walking down the road, hey, someone's here, someone's shout, hey, Tevin. I turn around and I see this guy. And I was like, hey, man, how you doing? I'm like, you know, you're like, like what? <laughs> I'm like, what? Who the hell is this, bro? Like, what is going on? And we're talking and I find out he learned how to code and doing all this. And right, like, as of now, he's very successful for himself. And, like, I'm happy for him for that. I'm not saying it's the youth club, exactly. I think there's loads of inputs. He had, like, his family and everything. There's loads of inputs around him. But if we played even a small fraction, and, and that's just him. There's a number of people I bumped into, and I'm, you look back and I'm like, wow. I, I'm like, it's, wow. If we played even a small input in helping to transition their life and to do something a bit more positive, then that's success for me. And that was good, yeah. No, I hear you. Like, it's one of those things, when you're putting out positive like positive energy in the world, it's, it goes out, but you rarely see it come back. Rarely. I, I tell you, when you put out negative energy, oh, it comes back to you in, like, times three, possibly times four. I can, like, go, like, you know, you're, oh, Tevin, you're an amazing person, great guy, blah, blah, blah. And, like, like you know, I say, like, yeah, oh, well, thank you very much. Or, like, yeah, go out, this podcast. Or I could, like, go, yeah, Tevin, you're this, that, that, and and you're a dirty son. And your reaction's <laughs> going to be, like, what the hell? <laughs> your back will be up and attack. But when you do something positive, and this is when you, especially if you're working with people, you don't necessarily see it. And, like, yeah, I expect one day if I'm back in New York uh, to have, like, maybe some random camp, like, camper when I was working over there many moons ago come up to me, like, hey, you remember me? So, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. money, please? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So, with, like, yourself working as a youth leader, what would you say was, like, what did you learn on day one compared to your final day? Hmm. What did I learn on day one? It's weird because I don't know if there was a day one exactly. I, I remember final when I left, but day one, I don't know if there was a day one because I um, just started off here and there, going there. Um, mm. And then, yeah, I mean, I've been to a lot of youth clubs growing up. Um, I used to go to a few, like, just go and play football and sports and that kind of thing. That was my thing growing up. Just wanted somewhere to go and play table tennis or something like that. Um, and this one, I just used to go there here and there and just got more involved with it over time. Um, and I think something I've learned anyways is, and I think it's through the youth club, but also just in general um, in life, was is empathy and the importance of empathy. I think that when um, and having not having a non not having a judgmental mindset with that as well. So just to, to like repeat, sim similar to what I said a bit earlier, I feel like uh, it's never right to judge someone. If you lived the exact same way as someone in the exact same household, same circumstances, everything like that, you may well have been exactly like them. Um, and with that in mind, I, I've always 
over time I've learned not to judge people um, because you, you, you just don't know. That could be you if you grew up like them. And instead, it's better to approach things with empathy. I think when, like, even if we look at us as individuals, if, uh, you know, when someone talks to you and you feel like they really, they empathise and they really understand you, you you feel a lot more like, ah, oh, wow, okay, I feel understood, I feel heard, I feel, yeah, you know, like, like you, what was that, sorry? Connected. You feel connected, man, you feel good, it's like, okay, all right, great, you know, and I think that's the best way to approach, um, especially with people, if you're any kind of a leader, in any capacity, professional capacity, a voluntary capacity, wherever, um, you've always got to approach leadership with empathy. Um, listen, seek to understand before you answer, um, and yeah, empathize with people. I think that's one thing I definitely learned over time, not to judge and to empathize. Mm. Excellent. So, after this, like, yeah, <laughs> I, like, what drew you to the Arcadia group of all places? Mm, that 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 strong company, that company which is now leading us into the future. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds like I've probably got out a good time actually. Let me dare yeah. So that I sort of fell into at the time because right. I needed a job at the time, basically. And it's because of my background before that. So before that, I was um, in the fashion. Oh, I've got to take it back a little bit so it makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> so after college, uh, remember I said in college, I decided that I want to do the entrepreneurship thing, but blah, blah, blah. all my A-levels were science anyways. So whatever. Um, I went to university first year and I've done um, one year, um, mathematical science one year again just it's not that I really wanted to do it I just needed something you know <laughs> you pay got to study <laughs> not yeah. university is not an option <laughs> parents are like knock at your door yeah. <laughs> you you I'm just chilling out you know what I mean I'm feeling tired <laughs> like, get up get out now yeah. <laughs> That would not fly. <laughs> At 18 years old, nah, I've got to be doing, I've got to be studying, I've got to be doing something. Stuff will fly. Yeah. <laughs> so after college, I went back, I done um, one year mathematical science and then I dropped out or I can say I changed course. Because yeah. at that point, again, I was still on this entrepreneurship thing and I'm still trying to understand what I want to do or what kind of business I want to start. So I was learning about everything. I'm going to all sorts of events, reading all sorts of books, just learning as much as I can about different industries. And um, I started learning about the fashion industry and about how crazy that is on so many different levels, on a human level, on an environmental level. But it's a lot crazier than people really think and understand. Living here in the Western world, you don't see it. But it's absolutely crazy on a human and an environmental level. So I thought, okay, cool. This is the industry I'm going to go into. I'm going to start a business here. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to start at that point in time, but I knew I wanted to do something kinder. So uh, me being me, like I said, I'm very, I can be one track minded. When I put my mind to something, I'm going to do it. Like, so I left um, that uni and uh, enrolled at the London College of Fashion and studied fashion business. Because okay. I, need, I needed to understand, I don't understand um, business in that industry at all. So I thought, you know what, let me just go to London College of Fashion is like one of the best universities for fashion in the world. So I was like, let me just go here. And then 
learn from the best, <laughs> basically. Let me learn about the industry from the best. I remember going there for my interview, you know, like when you're doing these admission interviews at universities and that, and everyone else, everyone there was like, oh, artsy, hip star. I don't know the industry. I'm there in a three-piece suit. <laughs> Not looking like I fit in. You know what? Like, this is the thing. Being in a three-piece suit in a lot of settings would be the best thing you could ever do. Precisely. The London College of Fashion. <laughs> no, not so much. Not so much. Not, not so much. I think. Yeah, I remember turning up. Yeah, and look how I'm thinking. I'm overdressed. Even the people, people interviewing me were wearing like t-shirts. It's fashion uni. They don't dress like that there. So I'm just sticking out like a sore. And I'm the only black guy there as well. I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. I'm thinking, oh, like, mate. Like, like they're looking at you like a fed. <laughs> that's like when you don't know you don't know i didn't know <laughs> i just turned up like that they maybe they were impressed with a suit whatever i got the <laughs> offer i was so surprised i got the offer i don't have any kind of a design background whatsoever but everyone else there has like uh they've done this at a level and they got all these artsy backgrounds i didn't have any I got science background <laughs> <laughs> There you go. There you go, people. It pays to wear a three-piece suit. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was in 2012. Uh, it was a part-time course, actually. I applied too late, so I missed the offer for the I missed the deadline for the full-time course. So I go into the part-time one, course, okay. whatever. So, in there, I wasn't really too fast anyway, because uh, in my head, the degree was just a by. If I keep it real, I didn't really care too much about the degree. It was more so about the networking opportunities and what I can learn. And that was my main mindset. So I thought, cool, whatever. I'll do the part-time. Um, had a part-time, a few different part-time jobs on the side. And then started working on a business. So I launched a business in 2014. <clears throat> that was a couple years after I started London College of Fashion. And it was called Mr. Kitto. And it was selling FUK-made fashion from independent menswear designers, um, online retailer. So done that for a couple of years. It was really cool. Had 10 different designers on there. Uh, five from UK from different parts of the world i think it was one tanzanian designer one russian designer one spanish one indian and one something else that escapes me right now but yeah <laughs> five different designers um uh, yeah, the fifth one wasn't that important no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> i can't remember i can't remember right now i can't but it was cool and all of them like really cool innovative brands they had like different things that they're working on so like there was one for example that they made leather accessories it was the indian mm -hmm. brand actually they made leather accessories but the leather accessories was all used to make um all designed and created using um like the cowhides i think the cowhides are being thrown away and they'll like for me for into landfills and that kind of thing or just polluting the area the local economy so they're using those and then using those to create leather accessories um i had a brand that was using recycled fire hydrant fire hydrant hoses to create accessories um other brands that were just more um, like the Russian brand, I think, was a university student, actually. So she's just making a lot of things herself. So there isn't necessarily that negative human or environmental aspect to it as well. Mm. You know, different brands. And it was quite cool. They're all different and cool in their own way. Um, all ethical in their own way. And so I ran that for a couple of years and that was good. Like, a really, really good experience. You know, I was able to meet a lot of people, uh, traveled a little bit. Um, yeah, it was good. <laughs> but then I closed it down after a couple of years in all 2016. Right. And by that point, I'm already, I'm in the fashion world now because I've kind of pigeonholed myself. So I'm finished my degree and I just I needed a job. <laughs> and I got a degree in fashion business now. So that's how I ended up at Arcadia Group. Okay. <laughs> <It's> like, <right. laughs> 
Yeah. Like, I am curious with regards to, like, okay, fashion. When anyone talks about fashion, you hear the glitz, you hear the glamour. And, like, look, yeah, you do hear the sort of negatives of the whole sort of, uh, like, yeah, environmental side, more so lately. But, like, it is a ruthless industry when it comes to pricing. And, like, yeah, you know, it, and when you're doing something sustainable, ooh, that, like, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there must be a reason why it, it, two years, great and all, but, yeah, what was the margins like with regards to that type of thing? Uh, margins weren't great, which is partly the reason I had to close it. So when I was running the business, I was, um, I was, um, do you know, you know the dropshipping model? Or for anyone that's listening? Yes. If anyone's listening, the dropshipping model essentially is I had a platform, listed the designer stuff on the platform, and then when a sale came through, I'll send it to them, they'll send yeah. it off and I'll take a commission. Uh, I've done that at the time. I didn't even know what dropshipping was. I don't think dropshipping was really a thing like it is now. Back then, I just didn't have the money to buy and everything to get a warehouse. So I was just trying mm. to think, what can I do? All right, let's just have the, the public-facing platform and have their stuff on there. With that now, uh, there's only so much you can negotiate in terms of a commission or margin. So let's say I'm getting 20%, 25% on a £20 T-shirt. So what? So let's say 25% of a £20 T-shirt, I'm making £5 profit. You still got to pay your online transaction fee or visa fee, this fee, got to send it off. You left it like a pound afterwards. And then uh, it just, it, it, after a while, it's like, it gets really long. You're not making anything from it. And I, I, and on top of that, I was having other issues. Like some of the designers, they're independent. So maybe they ain't got their systems in place properly. And I'll get an order, I'll send it to them. They'll take a week. And I've, to send it and I've got to be chasing them or they'll just lose the order. I say, oh, I've lost it. Or I'll send them an order and they'll be like, I haven't got that size. I'm like, you're meant to tell me if you haven't got the size, <laughs> I can update the website. And there's so many logistical issues like that as well. Uh, I bet you must worry with that I am trying to get you money. Why yeah. are you making this so hard for me to get you money? <laughs> so frustrating. I didn't know, again, I'm, started it just from scratch i don't even necessarily know about systems and everything properly if i was doing it now i'd do it a bit differently i had like this excel sheet that i shared with them and just telling them um like how many x how many units have you got this size and that size of like but most of them weren't even maintaining the sheet i get it so it's extra work for them but they're not maintaining the sheet so i'm oh man it was just in that side of things <laughs> It was so frustrating. I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to bring up a PTSD moment for you. <laughs> Just like, no. Um, yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah. So, moving on swiftly, Arcadia Group. <laughs> yeah, Arcadia, I was there for uh, just a year. That one, like I said, I just fell into it. My background was fashion at that point. I needed a job, and that they were hiring. I applied and got a job. But I never really ever saw myself staying there forever. It was always a let me just sit for a little while and then I would move on. Mm. So, like, this is the thing, like, yeah, you got down in like international trade advice. I'm not too sure what that is on your like on your good old LinkedIn. But what's this around about the time like you embarked? Let, let's just say. Um, 
like on somewhat like a Homer's Odyssey, the journey uh, the, like of the Iliad or something like that, because 700 job applications yeah. get you like to do the sort of bridge to where you are. Yeah. And you did have a rough, you were technically successful with one of them, but you kind of blew them off. But tell me about the 700. Yeah, yeah, that, that was crazy. So that I started applying. I went back to university after Arcadia Group and done a yeah. master's. And whilst I was doing my master's, I started applying probably halfway through or something to try and secure something for when I finish. Yeah. And yeah, I was applying a hell of a lot. Like I was applying to a lot of jobs. I had a spreadsheet that I was tracking all of my applications on. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> for spreadsheet's sake. Put <laughs> it this way: when you like you said spreadsheet for the second time, my my lady would high five you and hug you, and she goes, "Look, this is the power of a spreadsheet. Look at me dead in the eyes. Like I'm get on board." <laughs> Sorry to interject. Sorry, oh, it's all good. Uh, so I had a spreadsheet I was tracking so I could see all of my applications and see like the date I've applied, if I've heard back, the date I've heard back, if I'm successful, etc. If I got through to the interview company, etc. Whatever. But I had a spreadsheet that had everything on it that I was using to track. And yeah, I was applying to a lot of jobs. And it wasn't just uh, uh it wasn't these like, you know, them sometimes you can do the quick applications, you don't have to change and you just click apply and it just sends off your application. I mean I was really on my laptop I still have them. I got folders of all my cvs and i got cvs for every almost every job anyway i wouldn't say every single one but i probably got about 500 different cvs on my laptop all slightly modified for every job i apply for so i have like cvs folder then i got the company name within that and then the cv i had for that company for the job i applied for and the cover letter because i was writing cover letters for almost all of them as well all tailored this is before chat gpt so i'm doing all by hand <laughs> there's no ai i'm doing it myself. You were the AI. Yeah. <laughs> so I was taking, so I wasn't be doing 10, 15 a day, but I don't know. I was doing maybe two, three a day over the course of a year. Uh, uh, yeah, a lot and very t- much tailoring everything and just wasn't hearing back. Like wasn't hearing back and it's, it gets long, you know, I've been doing it for, I think it was 13 months that I was planning for before I finally um, secured uh, the role I got. But I was just applying a lot. I think I probably had, about five interviews or something like that. Like I didn't have many interviews. I just wasn't hearing back from a lot of jobs. Wow. Because like, this is the thing Like applying for like applying for one job that like, there are people who will apply for two, three jobs and like, yes, copy paste and the way, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like to do like each individual like CV with each individual cover letter, like, when like was it a point where you felt like the sort of like started to feel the fatigue of it because that is as you say long if you get what I mean yeah I, I, trust me I felt I felt the fatigue after one week <laughs> I felt oh, the fatigue oh. it, it gets long uh, it's it's very tedious I, I won't mm. sugarcoat it it's extremely tedious to be able to do it do it all the time and. You know, there's some applications you really put everything into it because you feel like you're the perfect fit and you just don't hear anything back. So it was extremely tedious. I think for me, so at that time I started, um, well, I met my girlfriend, I don't know if you know, for growing out at the time when I was applying 
We probably think we were actually, yeah. I think she was my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. But I met her around that period of time, so I wasn't working. I was like, you know, the love, the love's real. Hey, girl, glad. Ah, thank you for coming out on the stage. Now we're going to Starbucks. I'm gonna have to share this big coffee. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was literally like that. It was like that in the early days. <laughs> so I met her, and she helped me a lot. Though she really helped me a lot. She helped me with a lot of my CVs. A lot of my cover letters, a lot. So I think if it wasn't for that that level of support, because people that support, I don't get me wrong, like, I love my family and everything, they support me. Uh, but she kind of took it to another level. She was like actively sitting down with me and helping, helping me with my CVs and cover letters over that entire year, those 13 months when I was applying. And I think that helped because if it was by myself, I, I don't know, to be honest, I might have settled for something else, but yeah. yeah. I have to ask, like, yeah, what, like, yeah, you got your, your lady at the time, now your wife, um, helped you out a lot, but, like, what actually helped both of you continue through the tedium of it all? Mm, I think one thing I used to always say to her, and it goes back to something I said a bit earlier, was that although it's tedious and long, I've never really ever doubted things will work out. I've, I've always said, you know what, we're, we're going to be good at some stage. Uh, I don't know when, but at some stage we're going to be good. It just This is just a season we have to go through. She went through something similar when she was looking for work and it took her a long time to find work as well. Um, so, And that was just before when I started applying, actually. And I was helping her through that and we was doing like crazy stuff. We was like doing all the regular in, uh, CVs and that. We was rocking up to offices on on in person and just going there like <laughs> we'll do some crazy stuff like i remember because i'd done something similar back in the day when i was in the fashion world and when when you don't come from fashion background you don't know anyone you just gotta do what you gotta do to try to try and meet people and i remember one time you know do you know the brand hermes they do them luxury birkin bags that... oh yes this is the story i'm talking about like, i'm surprised you haven't been slapped like, oh, your lady with, with a carry-on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i remember walking into their office and be like i don't i was their office is around the corner from london college of fashion so one time i was leaving the uni the library and i was like oh, wait like let me let me google them actually i googled it i found out the name of the guy that runs the uk office and then i just walked into the front and i remember what i was wearing i was wearing this I was super casual. Like, I, they're a bit more, because it's a luxury brand, it's a bit more of a, you know, they dress up, but they dress properly. And I'm wearing, like, super casual clothes, like a T-shirt, shorts, or something like that. And I've walked in, like, hey, I'm Tevin. I'm here to see um, Bertrand Mashoud. What's his name? And they were like, who? I'm like, Tevin. I was like, oh, just Tevin. Tell him it's Tevin from, um, just tell him it's Tevin. He'll know who I am. <laughs> He's what He should be expecting me. And I think the receptionist was even confused herself. But she's like, oh, okay. And then she's called up. And then I'm sitting there, I'm expecting to get kicked out. But bear in mind, this isn't the first time I've done, I used to do stuff like this all the time. So I wasn't, it wasn't the first time I've done something like this. So I'm like expecting to get kicked out. And she's like, okay, yeah, go upstairs. And I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> oh, okay, so I'll go up and then, but he wasn't even in the UK, he travelled and I switched his PA. And then his PA put me in contact. And the PA said, let me get your details. Blah, blah, blah. Like, cool. I didn't, you know, I just thought, you know, I'm never going to hear from them again. But then, no, he emailed me a few weeks after. And then I met up with him, met up with him a few times actually. He gave me some solid advice when it comes to fashion. Really cool. And that's just one example. I've done a few things like that before. And then with uh, my girlfriend at the time, we fell, we tried to do the same thing. 
So when she was looking before I started looking, and I was like, okay, we've applied for X, Y, Z, like these companies, let's just go there. And then just follow the same script. <laughs> just go there and say, hi, this is my name. I'm looking for so-and-so. They should be expecting me. And I remember we went to one company and then she done because she was quite nervous before. I remember we went to one company and then she's done it and I'm just sitting in the foyer waiting for her. And then like, I see her walking through the corridor of the CEO of the company. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> it worked. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's those kind of things because I supported her when she was looking. Um, in turn, she supported me. But I think with me, it might have been a bit more even involved and intense because over a long period of time, and she was very actively helping me with the CVs and cover letters. Yeah. Now, you... Sir, uh, like you, 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 you're kind of how can I say you're kind of an enigma because you show up to London College of Fashion, suited and booted, three piece suit, <laughs> interview, and you get in. You you show up to like, this organisation where high high fashion, where like you should be suited and booted, but you rock up with shorts and a t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and you get in. Like, orthodox is not the way you do things, I would imagine. Because, like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes I'm a bit, I'm a bit left field, to be honest. <laughs> uh, that's why I would say, like, I, I see myself in, I think that's why the Richard Branson book resonated so much, because I see that in myself to some degree, where he's very unorthodox, and then I see that to myself. I, I sometimes just do different, I've always done different my friends will say like growing up tevin was different I, yeah. I, i'll pick up a, i learned how to play ukulele i'm, I'm different everyone's doing that like, let me just do different things i've always just done different things because like yeah because okay with this can-do attitude this grit attitude this like okay not i wouldn't call you a i would not call you an optimist you you have that element, but you have a like a realist sort of streak in you. You're an optimist with a realist streak in you. Like so, you devise a plan to get where you need to be. That's how I'm observing you at this present time. But like, yeah. Now, let's just say Bloomberg. That is like that is not a low tier organization. When it comes to news and information, especially in the business world, you are like, hey, like it like there is it's it switches between one and two, Reuters being the other one. For business information, it's either Bloomberg or Reuters. How on earth did you get into there? Because like, yeah. God damn guy. God damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh that yeah, so that it was just I applied to so many jobs and I got the call from them. My thing is that I've I always feel fairly confident if I can get in front of the person face to face. I've always felt that like then I can at least work with something because I feel like with this paper CVs or whatnot, you, you know, you don't meet the person, you don't meet me. Uh, but when I get in front of the person, I'm like, okay, cool, I'm I'm gonna get it now. Like I'm gonna make sure that they understand and see my passion. With Bloomberg. I got through to the interview and I was even shocked because again, I've applied to a lot of companies. Most, almost pretty much almost every company I applied for wasn't as big as Bloomberg. And then when they called me for the interview, so I'm like, cool, great. And bearing in mind my background, I've got a fashion degree. <laughs> so, so, but I've got my master's on top now by that point. 
Um, but cool. Even then, I'm like, well, right, cool. I'm here now. Now I've got to make sure I smash this interview. With the interview, I was very aware that I'm going to be competing against people who have strong financial backgrounds already, who've probably studied finance, maybe worked in finance and all that kind of thing. I don't have any of that kind of background. So I'm not going to compete with them and that. I'm not going to compete with them on talking about finance and my background, etc. So I just kind of, I tried to steer the conversations. There was three rounds of in-person interviews. And in all of them, I've always, I kept to just steer the conversation away to things I'd already done, basically. So I spoke a lot about my business in, when I was doing fashion in all three of those rounds of interviews. And I, I kept steering it back there. Um, and just really, I went with like, kind of like a storytelling angle. I really just kept trying to tell my story. So like, this is me, this is where I'm from, I grew up here, um, I studied this, this is why I studied it, went studying my business, etc. blah, 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 and that, and I made sure everyone I interviewed, I got that story out in those three rounds. And I came from that angle, because I just knew I wasn't going to copy on finance, it's not my background. And I, I, I suppose it worked, <laughs> lo and behold. Okay, now... Impressive, because like, look, you've been there now for almost three and a half years, and like, you know what I mean? Right, yeah, like, which is a fantastic effort, and like, well done to you, bravo, bravo, sir. Thank you. But yes, as you mentioned the story a number of times, uh, steering the conversation, I see it, steering the conversation, well-skilled, and now, so when did you come up with the concept of a thousand voices. Oh, hello. Yes, you're you're back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. No, internet, internet. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't hear what you said. Sorry. No, I was like basically, I, I said, I was, I commended you on like, <laughs> yes, like stirring the conversation. No, I said awful things about you, really. But like, like <laughs> the conversation. Not quite skillfully along the lines of story. And yeah, I was like, yeah. So when did you come up with the concept of a thousand voices? Yeah, so one thousand voices is when did I come up with the concept? I came up with the concept a long time ago. It's not something that I thought about and started the next day. Far mm-hmm. from it. Far from it. I came up with that concept, I don't even know, long time ago. And but when I first thought of the concept, it was a book. I just thought I'm gonna write a book talking to inspirational, oh, no, inspirational, interesting, interesting Black Britons was the idea, you know, to show some diversity in background and that kind of thing is like, just, you know, highlight some of these different people. Yeah. Then inspirational Black Britons. Um, and then over time, I felt, let's move into digital media because I feel yeah. digital is where it's may, at. May I just interrupt you? Just one yeah. moment. Why Black Britons? Why not Black people in general or like people in general? So um, first on the, the Black Britain side of things, <clears throat> I was very intentional about making it Black and British. So yes. I feel that a lot of our gays here is very Americanized and we look a lot to, they got a lot of shows and we learn a lot about the American civil rights movement and all sorts of things like that. But we don't necessarily learn or know a lot of things that happened in the UK. Most people in the UK wouldn't really have a clue about Black British history but they'll know about, the, to some degree, who Martin Luther King and Malcolm X are, at the very least. Um, so we know a bit more, and our gays are very Americanized. I'm like, okay, let's focus on Black Britons in particular, because I was very <laughs> intentional about that, um, to highlight some Black British voices. I think that 
um, by focusing on black Britons and I feel like the stories and the narrative and everything that are going to be shared and told are going to be a lot more relatable than from a general black person from another part of the world. It's more relatable. They're from here. They sound like you probably maybe grew up in the same kind of area as you and they've navigated and they're doing whatever they're doing right now. So I was very intentional about that. On the black people in general aspect as well, that yeah. was, I think that is um. Because I've always been aware and through my own studies and all maybe some of my own personal experiences and whatnot, but I've always been aware of the level of racial disparities within the UK. And there's a number of different stats that will point towards that number. So if we're, if we, even if we take things like overt forms of racism out of it, when we're talking particularly about black people in the UK, there's like wealth disparities, there's... Um, sent prison sentencing disparities there's educational attainment disparities there's all sorts of when it comes to negative metrics more nine times out of ten um black and maybe some other ethnic groups but the black britons are lagging behind other groups um and i'm just very acutely aware of that and then that's why i decided you know i'm going to focus on the black britain side of things so we can hopefully in time work towards challenging negative perceptions and to work towards closing some of these disparities that we see within our society and yeah just british because it's more relatable mm. no i do agree with you there is a, a very much <clears throat> american sort of lens on when it comes to race relations um it doesn't go exclusively with this country it, it's a global thing like okay if, if you look at if there was a sort of incident what went down with the police over in the states it becomes very much everything over here focuses on that as well when something else quite locally could be going on and it will never see the light of day or like be that in a positive light be that in a negative light and so it's sometimes very tricky to sometimes get that down and when if you try to speak up and go right, but what about in the UK? But there's times where you can get shouted down and go, but it's all about this. But I'm here in the UK. That mm-hmm. doesn't quite relate to how I live my life, how my friends live their life, family members live their life. There is stuff what's going on over there, which is like, but it's not the same thing. And it's like when you have like a say a term like bane. Mm. It's like, you're like, I'm, okay you know what uh, thank you very much for that term but I don't have anything <laughs> in common with like an Asian person who might be over there and it's like you look like put it this way my like my back like my family background Nigerian I believe yours is Ghanaian right yeah yep. no there is a huge sort of like even though we're kind of next door neighbors there is quite considerable differences like you know, look i won't go i won't bring up the jollof rice thing because that would be <laughs> <laughs> that, you know what i mean like who's superior no none of that but there is a huge sort of difference how things look even in the states there's a huge difference what happens on the like from one coast going all the way through the country to the other coast so yeah I do like the fact that you are sort of like, yeah, highlighting people like black people in Britain because 
the voices out there. I don't think sometimes there is enough attention brought to like successful people who are like, you know, I mean, starting their own businesses, they're moving up uh, through society who will be making some real sort of like influential changes in the future. But how many people know their names? Mm. Precisely. I think in, in society, we give too much energy to nonsense if we keep it real. Like mm. if you turn on the news, it's 95% doom and gloom. 95% and cool. Maybe I think there's, um, it, it's important to know what's up and what's happening in the news. The news I feel is biased anyways, but that's another, <laughs> another debate. But <laughs> it's, it's important. It's important to know what's up and what's happening in the world. But at the same time, if you're just being bombarded with messages of doom and gloom and terror, like that, man, it's just going to affect your mindset. It affects how you think, how you feel everything. And there isn't enough of positive narratives being shared. And, yeah. That was, you know, thousand voices. That was another one of my uh, driving forces behind when to start it because it's like there's this positive people out here. If you look at <clears throat> um, black people in the UK and um, black people in the UK and how black people are depicted now, now, um, which I think isn't fully accurate. But if we now, for example, um, I give you a story of my brother. So my younger brother, he went to Cornwall on a school trip, and when they went there. Um, this was some a few years ago when they went there all the other kids in Cornwall were scared of him and his friends and then later on they were like oh it's because we thought you guys were going to be in a gang bearing in mind <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> bearing in mind these people had literally never ever met a black person in their whole life these were the first black people they'd ever come across and then they're thinking they're scared because they're in a gang why are they thinking that what are they seeing what are they consuming what why Why was that your first thought when you come across someone you don't even know? It tells you, I feel like it's just, it's too much nonsense being put and pushed out there. And um, yeah, we just got to challenge those. And there's a stat, I think it's in the hospitality industry. I might be slightly wrong with the stats, so don't quote me, but it says that for every one negative experience you have, you need three positive to counteract it. Mm. So if you parallel that to 1000 Voices and just positive storytelling in general, for every one negative or nonsense or high part, whatever story that you hear, you're going to need at least three to counteract that so we can bring some balance and, you know, really depict um, Black Britons in a more accurate and positive light. Mm-hmm. I think, and all of that, you know, all driving forces, you know, we, um, we, yeah, I don't think just having one story is enough. There's too much nonsense out there. We've got to just push out as much positive content as possible. Yeah, but like this comes back to what you, we talked about earlier. What about you being brought up in Leytonstone, right? Okay, here's the thing. You, as you said, and I, I agree with you, you need to be able to see someone who's done it before. There isn't enough stories where I don't look. Don't get me wrong. Like everyone sees a sports personality. Everyone sees a musician. And they go, yeah, that is, oh, that's a thing. If that's how you do it, that's how you move ahead. Yes, you can do. But if you really want to sort of like have a real impact on whatever society you live in, you need to basically invest, start businesses, start companies, building uh, that sort of corporate infrastructure on, what, on some level 
for some like for certain things to change in society. And I think there's not enough emphasis on that sort of like realm of things when it comes to like yeah, like the black community. You can like go okay. You can go yeah. Look at other communities like Jewish community, Indian community. Look, when I was growing up as a lad, like most Indian and Pakistani people, they owned like shops, the sweet shop, and yeah. then their kids became the doctors, the lawyers, the business people. And then, like, from whatever money they made from their businesses, they, then they started to move on to being the landlords and everything like this. So it sort of, looked, as an observer later in life, it's like, oh, where you were then, a good chunk of time, decades gone on, you've now, like, elevated yourself to this next level. And uh, before them, it was Jewish people doing the same thing. They were the shopkeepers. They became the lawyers, the doctors, everything like this. Elevate themselves up. That game, and if you kind of look at the sort of relative amount of time, like if you go to the, rim, the wind rush era, yeah, you can go you, in, in the country, for, like the black community on this sort of modern day sort of immigration has been in the country the same amount of time, but there hasn't been the same level of results. Is what is the sort of disconnect? What is missing uh, from that? And I think it's a case of, yeah, any sort of realm of success may not have been talked about or shown. And I think with your podcast, I think that's the opportunity where if you get enough people will start to listen to it, watch it it might be able to like maybe plant a seed or two i don't know if that was like you know what i mean some of your motivation as well to get that down yeah 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 um <clears throat> definitely resonated with a lot of things you're saying there um and definitely some of my motivation um one of so when i was talking about the racial disparities yeah so if you look at the wealth disparities in the uk now with all things being equal if everything was absolutely equal and everything different was race i suppose things should level out there shouldn't necessarily be disparities and it shouldn't be widening gaps as well it wouldn't be a thing mm-hmm. but then when there are disparities then there are reasons and causes for that and we've got to look back to what those reasons and causes are perhaps one is uh what you highlighted with maybe those stories not being highlighted enough uh, it probably is i'm sure that is actually quite key uh because again if you don't see it you can't believe it um, or it's difficult to believe it. You just don't know it's even a path if you don't see it yeah. within your life, within your family, within your community. Uh, so that could be one reason. Um, and I guess, yeah, that's um, through 1,000 Voices where we're working on amplifying those kind of positive stories because there, there's so many people out here. In my life, I've come across some people who are doing some really good, cool things for their communities and for their in their own lives who have found success in whatever they're doing, in the workplace, whatever. And but then nobody knows them. <clears throat> it's not through any fault of their own. They just haven't been platformed. But I'm like, but come on, <laughs> you're doing a lot. I can, but your, but your name isn't buzzing. Like, but you're doing so much, and it don't it don't make sense to me. And it's like this is this is crazy. But then we we, we all know some of these other. Uh, I don't want to get onto anymore. You know all these other like. Come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I won't do the name dropping thing, but you know, we all know these other social media personalities and stuff who aren't really doing anything and aren't standing for anything, you know, but 
We all don't know their names. But then people who are out here are really doing good work and good stuff. And most people don't know them. And just like now, we, we got to try and get those stories out there. Those are the ones we need to amplify. Yeah, but it's like I say, when you put something positive out there, it sort of really sort of comes back to you. And like it's a case of when someone does a positive action, if there is no one cheerleading that positive action, and I, like, you know what I mean? There might be, uh, there might be very stoic people out there like going, you know what I mean? I don't need this. It's just like I'm just doing what I'm doing. But they still need to be cheerleaders, like cheered about to be able to like go, okay, this person's done something epic. This person's done something wonderful. Let's like, let's hold, like not hold them up on the pedestal. So it's like, yeah, like all worship. And because when you put people up on the pedestal, like you get mm. other people trying to pull them down. But to like, oh yeah, they, this is where they've forged paths down this way. You can follow these paths or you can take what they've done when they found their way to find your way down the new path. Yeah, many percent. Yeah. And something that I try and do the interviews now as well is I try and make sure that there's actionable advice on top of that. So we've got like the inspirations out of things, which is them telling their story. Yeah. And then it's like, what's the actionable advice now? Like you're a tech entrepreneur. What steps have you taken to find business opportunities or you're a corporate you leader or whatever what steps have you taken to rise in your corporate career and so mm -hmm. forth so there's a mixture of the seeing the story and then the actionable steps you can take to achieve a level of success that they've achieved as well and even more mm. i wonder what my next question is going to be Kevin. i wonder too <laughs> but what actionable steps have you taken as a podcaster to grow your podcast, to like, yeah, get that word out there, to be that sort of cheerleader for the thousands. I'm gonna my my favorite thing ever. I've got <laughs> I've got <a> spreadsheet, <laughs> another one tracking. Oh no! Get out! Get out! <laughs> I was even working on that spreadsheet. Was it yesterday morning or Friday night? I can't remember. Um, I've been. It's a monthly thing. So. The spreadsheet, and that's very analytical, though. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, be my spreadsheets, but the spreadsheet yeah, will track like <laughs> what, I, what I do with the spreadsheet is like I'll um, have over the past month, and this is just looking at YouTube, um, not necessarily the audio download numbers. So that's that one I can just see that how it grows in it, but with the YouTube, I'm trying to optimize a bit more for that now. Um, I'm looking at, okay, what were the top performing episode videos what we've put out over the past month based on how many, uh, average view average view duration based on the click-through rate of it, etc. Okay, now what was, is there something similar between their titles, thumbnails, etc. Reanalyzing, okay, was there, what was the intro? Where were people dropping off? Are they dropping off here? Was the intro too long? Are we trying to optimize? Okay, cool. Then taking that and then trying to apply it for the month forward. Um, and we're seeing incremental gains. We're not necessarily... <clears throat> where I want to be with it. Um, but seeing incremental gains every every month, you know, like more impressions, more whatever. And I feel like with YouTube, it's one of them things where, like the algorithm, isn't it? You know, you hit a certain critical mass and then YouTube yeah. will just push that out for you. So you just keep trying to improve a bit, bit by bit, and then you hit certain button and call, then it's just get pushed out a lot more. Uh, so I do a lot of that. <clears throat> um, I try to... That's on the very analytical side of things. 
I'm, I'm okay. always trying to improve. So if you look at some of the, maybe I can send it to you if you want to afterwards, actually. But you look at how <laughs> things have things have changed over time. Like I'm always optimizing. The logos changed. Um, before I started, when it was an idea, I had another yeah. logo which was not really good, and then. Um, I've changed that. So the logo changed. The thumbnail design has changed. So if you look at some of the old videos, see it's evolved now. It's a lot more consistent than it used to be. The t the title structure's changed. The way our intro has changed. Again, it's only these are subtle things that you only really notice if you look and you look for it probably. But a lot of things has changed bit by bit. So I'm always trying to do things here and there to try and um, optimize a little bit here and there. I see, I see. Now, I um, just, I can only see this growing and like, yeah, I think like my mind sort of explodes with different ideas coming off of this. Have you ever thought about doing, say, a get together, say of like, yeah, say five, like five guests you've had from like a season, get them down in a place in London, and then basically have people being able to come along and meet them and sort of do a meet and greet and do a sort of networking thing on that type of thing? I have. Um, I thought about a lot of different things. It's, right now, it's two reasons why I haven't been pushing so much in those kind of things. Mm -hmm. One is that I, to be, if I keep it real, it's just a time because I'm working a full-time job as well. So to be... Doing that is quite, it's quite, and you know, finance, finance, the hours are pretty hefty. So to do all the extra things on the side, is quite, it's quite tough. And um, secondly, I'm, I'm really focused on trying to grow right now. So it's because the time outside of work is so limited is that I'm really trying to focus on growing. And then but I have had ideas, you know, similar ideas like that um, where yeah, we get guests and we do some kind of an in-person meetup of some sort. Just haven't necessarily executed on it as of yet. Mm, indeed, indeed. So, if you could have three future guests, what what sector or what area would you want to like? Would you want them from? Me, yeah, I would love to have guests that are from very atypical backgrounds. So not necessarily, there's no, obviously, slight on anybody that I've had or anything like that. But when I say very atypical, so not necessarily like a corporate professional or an entrepreneur or anything like that. I'm talking like uh, someone that, an astronaut, <laughs> you know, something that's just so different. It's so different. And I'll be like, cool. Because it's like a story you never hear. I don't know anyone, not that I've had this conversation, I don't, I've never come know any black British astronauts, for example, or something that's just so different. I'd love to have guests like that, very different types of backgrounds. Mm, the uncommon amongst the uncommon. Yeah, 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 that's it. Okay. Mm, I see, I see. So, with this, now, if you could interview one person that they, they can be real fictional past present who would you interview see i find these kind of questions difficult because <clears throat> for me 
I don't know. I don't, when it comes to, for 1000 voices in particular, mm-hmm. I don't have, I don't think I, I don't have a one person I was saying I would want, I, maybe back in the day I did, but now not necessarily. Um, I'm more, I don't have a one person I would think I'd want to interview, but if there's like a one person I'd like to have a conversation with now, just in general, uh, there's a few that like one person that I, I've said I would have loved to have met and sat down with <clears throat> uh, is my grandfather. He's passed away now, um, but he passed away when I was like one years old. So I never met him. He was in Ghana. I was here, but he was quite um, oh, decently big in Ghana, a foreign affairs minister and used to travel around a lot and all that kind of thing and mix and mingling with world leaders and all that. And, Again, that was something else. So we've 1,000 voices, something that over time, what I'd like to do, because <clears throat> we're interviewing uh, 1,000 Black British changemakers or whatnot, but over time, what I'd love to do is to create an archive where we just got Black British voices and stories being told, where anyone can come and just come and share, I don't know, like a 10-minute story or whatever, and then we can archive that. So that's there for future generations. So people like myself, and that would be a very long-term project. Whereas, like, your story's there in your own voice. That's very important. Not anybody else telling your story for you. It's you telling your story. So that future generations, your grandkids, your great-grandkids or whatever, can listen up and be like, oh, that's grandfather there, blah, blah, blah. This is his story. This is him. And there's a lot of power in that as well. Learning very directly about your own history. Um, being able to hear from people that you haven't been, you wouldn't have been able to talk to or hear from. Mm. Um, and just hearing their story in their own voice, I think that would be very powerful. And that's one person that comes to mind, my grandfather for sure. I, think. I would have loved to have sat down with him. Um, and other than that, just like general historic figures, I think I know I was talking about our gays being very Americanized, but one person I felt I would have loved to have sat down with would be Martin Luther King. Um, I've read his book. He's got a couple of biographies. I read one of them. And I think just because of who he was, what he stood for, the way he led with love and... The, what he was able to achieve in his short life he was so young when he became a leader and what he was able to achieve in his short life I feel like we could I could learn a lot and take some of that and parallel that to what I'm trying to do here with a thousand voices in the UK mm-hmm. now, if I could speak to someone just person comes to mind I would like to speak to Obama's father interesting because just to go right see like I've shown you a whole sort of, like, yeah, everything your son's done up until this point. Did you expect that? What surprised you? And like this, just to sort of get his sort of insight into that. Yeah. That would be very interesting, actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of my final questions, I'm going to say, yeah. Now, 30-year-old Tevin. Now, where would you like your journey to be in five years' time? In five years' time, so I don't have a I'm not saying, No, it's not a destination. It's where would you like your journey to be in five years' time? I, I, I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a guy that's just driven by my ideals and my passions and I've learned that a hell of a lot through my life. I've tried different businesses and side hustles in the past that just mm-hmm. pure profit driven and I just I've never been able to motivate myself to do it. 
My father voice I've been doing for just over a year and I haven't made a penny from it. I'm still I'm still doing it like I was like it's the first day. because uh, it's something that I love and I believe in. Very much driven by my passions and my ideals and the kind of change in the world I want to see. And in five years' time, I think I just want to be doing more of that. Maybe on a bigger scale. Uh, but more so just trying to just driving impact and seeing tangible impact and seeing the world and people's lives improve and just things get better slowly but surely um and in the uk is you know the first step along that path it's where i'm from <laughs> it's, it's, it's what i know so it makes sense to start here but over time oh uh, i would like to expand out and then to do some stuff internationally as well um, but all within the same same thread is always the same thread positive work positive entrepreneurship and driving change okay i like it i like it so I I look forward to the day when you get to 1,000 voices. Unfortunately for you, that'll be the day you're going to have to change everything uh, to most already 10,000 voices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Voices or 100,000 voices. Because I, I don't think that, yeah, I'm not too sure how long it will take you to get there because you're on what episode now? 53. I don't know what will be when this comes out, but 53 so far. 53 so far. Mm. Like you're doing a hell of a job and yeah, you're putting in one hell of an effort, which I commend you on, sir. Like, yeah, keep up the good work and yeah, keep forging forward, I say. Keep Much appreciated. No problem. No problem at all. Uh, yeah. On that happy note, I got to say, yeah, can you let the people know how they can find you on these interwebs, how they can get in touch if for you sure. want to? For sure. So I'm on socials. I mean, I'm primarily on, I think I'm on most things. I'm primarily using Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, at mm -hmm. Tevin Kitto um, on Instagram and Twitter. LinkedIn just my name, Tevin Kitto. Social and for 1000 Voices is at 1000 Voices UK. Again, we got profiles on most platforms, but the main ones we're using are Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok. Yeah, TikTok for nice little clips, if that's your thing. <laughs> so check us out. Will we catch you dancing on there? Will we catch you dancing? Uh, I can't dance. I gave up a long, long time ago. Too stiff. <laughs> Driving change. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that happy note on that too stiff note <laughs> I'd like to say thank you to you uh, Tevin and I'd like to say thank you to you my friends my life warriors for sticking with us to the end of the show yes please stay well stay safe be awesome be excellent be fantastic be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some ah Tevin, Tevin, love it. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it, man. It's been a good conversation. Ah, the pleasure's all mine. Yes. And we are out. <laughs>